Martin, it's Jessica Hayden, lead counselor of Camp Raven. Camp Raven is a podcast that covers subject matters such as true crime, horror, and paranormal stories and experiences. This podcast includes explicit language and graphic content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Be sure to follow Camp Raven on Twitter at Camp Raven Pod and Instagram at Camp Raven Podcast. Like the Camp Raven Facebook page, email at campravenpodcast at gmail.com, and follow my TikTok page at spooky underscore Jess for more content. Now, sit back, settle in with your blankets and s'mores, and I'll see you campers around the campfire. Enjoy your time at Camp Raven. Welcome back, campers. It's Camp Counselor Jess, and I'm so happy to see you all here for another night of fireside storytelling. For tonight's tale, we will be leaving the States for the first time at Camp Raven, as well as taking a step into the past. This particular story may also motivate some of you to take a hard, introspective look into the topic of race relations, injustice, and will hopefully motivate us to do better in the future to break down systemic racism and mistreatment at the hands of those in power. Trigger warnings for this episode include accounts of racism, animal cruelty, and intolerant statements. Subject matters in the story may be hard to hear, but I implore you to listen if you're able. The only way we can grow is through being open and accepting to learning and evolving. If you can, I hope you'll stay here with us. If not, you're welcome to return to your cabins and we'll hopefully see you next week. Let's go ahead and get started. Tonight's story is the Risden Cove Massacre. In 1803, a party of European settlers led by Lieutenant John Bowden and comprised of officials, soldiers, sailors, and convicts landed at what would become known as Risden Cove in Tasmania, then referred to as Van Diemen's Land, to establish a settlement. This would be the start of the European occupation of that island. Lieutenant Colonel David Collins was appointed governor of the colonist territories by the colonial office of the British government. In February 1803, the Colonial Office provided the following instructions to Governor Collins, quote, You are to endeavor by every means in your power to open an intercourse with the natives and to conciliate their goodwill, enjoining all persons under your government to live in amity and kindness with them. And if any person shall exercise any acts of violence against them, or shall wantonly give them interruption in the exercise of their several occupations, you are to cause such offender to be brought to punishment according to the degree of the events. In 1804, Governor Collins arrived by ship to Risden Cove. Within a few days, he deemed the settlement site as unsuitable due to its poor soil and inadequate freshwater source. A few months later, the main settlement would be moved to Sullivan's Bay to create what is now Hobart, Australia, leaving about 70 settlers at the original site of Risden Cove. At the time, the new settlers didn't have any local knowledge about Aboriginal society. The Aboriginal people had probably not had any contact with Europeans before May 3rd, 1804. On May 3rd, 1804, a large group of Aborigines were seen on the neighboring hillside of Risden Cove. After three hours, there would be numerous dead and wounded Aborigines in Risden Cove. However, there are many conflicting reports of how many were killed, what prompted the massacre of Aboriginal people by white soldiers at the settlement, 
the motives of the Aborigines, and unveiling a system of cover-ups and those abusing their power. One account is from Risdom Cove Massacre denier and journalist Keith Windshuttle, whose goal was, quote, to erase Risdon Cove as a massacre site from the historical record as part of a wider campaign to deny Aboriginal rights to land. He wrote in his self-published book, quote, It was an incident in which neither party could be easily blamed. The Aborigines were on a kangaroo hunt and were incensed to see some of their game expropriated by these strange new white people. The colonists mistook the natives' purposes and believed they were under attack. The troops had no intention beforehand to kill any of them. The commander in charge was concerned to justify his actions by the threat to his own people. He did not believe he could shoot Aborigines without good justification. No one took the event lightly, and no one urged that shooting Aborigines was an acceptable thing to do. To call the incident a quote-unquote massacre is to beat it up beyond credibility. Author Bruce Elder reported a different account, one that held a harsh spotlight on those running the settlement of Risdon Cove, writing, quote, The whites saw them approaching and were clearly disturbed. In fact, the Aborigines were almost certainly on a kangaroo hunt. Men, women, and children from different groups gathered and, forming a huge arc across the valley, herded the kangaroos toward the cove. They had no spears. Spears in such an enclosed space were dangerous. They carried large pieces of wood with which to beat the cornered animals when they tried to escape by rushing between the hunters. Lieutenant William Moore, the acting commander, had been drinking heavily the night before. Hungover, depressed, and antagonistic, he saw the approaching Aborigines through blurry, bloodshot eyes and decided that it would be good sport to, quote, see the N-words run. He called his troops to arms. The Aborigines were oblivious to the danger. At around 11 o'clock in the morning, as they came within range, the troops started firing. Moore would claim that only three had been shot, but other evidence, more reliable than his attempts at an official cover-up, would suggest that the figure was somewhere between 30 and 60. Lieutenant Moore, trying to justify his actions, claimed that, quote, from the numbers of them and the spears, etc., with which they were armed, that their design was to attack us and that they had wounded one of the settlers, Burke, and was going to burn his house down and ill-treat his wife. It was bureaucratic nonsense, a glib rationale for a massacre, a justification without logic. Moore never explained why the Aborigines, who had been friendly and non-confrontational up to that time, suddenly formed themselves into a gigantic and very European, quote, war party, and started attacking the tiny settlement. He didn't explain because there was no explanation. Bruce Elder. Immediately, Moore and other superiors went to work to develop their narrative of what transpired that May Day that would trickle to Hobart. Reverend Robert Knopwood, who was a settler in Hobart, had diary entries of what news came to them of the incident at Risdon Cove. One entry read, quote, Thursday, 3rd May, 1804. At 2 p.m., we heard the report of a cannon once from Risdon, and the lieutenant governor sent a message to know the cause. Another read, quote, At half past seven, Lieutenant Moore arrived at the camp to see Lieutenant Governor Collins, and I received the following note from Risdon. Dear Sir, I beg to refer you to Mr. Moore for the particulars of an attack the natives made today, and I have every reason to think it was premeditated, as their number far exceeded any that we ever heard of. As you express a wish to be acquainted with some of the natives, 
if you wish to dine with me tomorrow, you will oblige me by christening a fine native boy who I have. Unfortunately, poor boy, his father and mother were both killed. If Surgeon Bowden wishes to see him dissected, I will be happy to see him with you tomorrow. I would have wrote to him, but Mr. Moore waits. Your friend, J. Mount Garrett, a surgeon and magistrate. Postscript. The number of natives, I think, was not less than five or six hundred. J.M. On May 7, 1804, Lieutenant William Moore submitted the following report to Governor Collins about the event. Quote, Sir, agreeable to your desire, I have the honor of acquainting you with the circumstances that led to the attack on the natives, which you will perceive was the consequence of their own hostile appearance. It would appear from the numbers of them and the spears with which they were armed that their design was to attack us. However, it was not until they had thoroughly convinced me of their intentions by using violence to the settler's wife and my own servant, who was returning into camp with some kangaroos, one of which they took from him, that they were fired upon, on their coming into camp and surrounding it. I went towards them with five soldiers. Their appearance and numbers I thought very far from friendly. During this time, I was informed that a party of them was beating Burke, the settler, at his farm. I then dispatched two soldiers to his assistance, with orders not to fire if they could avoid it. However, they found it necessary, and one was killed on the spot, and another found dead in the valley. But at this time, a great party was in the camp, and on a proposal from Mr. Mountgarrett to fire one of the Carinod's cannons to intimidate them, they departed. End quote. Governor Collins accepted this report, and it was the basis of his own report of the incident back to the British government. Not long after the abduction of the orphan native boy, he was baptized by Reverend Knopwood without Governor Collins' knowledge or consent. Collins ordered the boy to be returned to his people as soon as possible. He then took command of Risden Cove and ordered its immediate closure in an effort to enact damage control to avoid public scrutiny only adding more complicity and covering up what happened. 27 years would pass. 27 years of violence and strife between Aborigines and colonists of Tasmania. In 1830, the Broughton Committee was established to investigate the origins of the hostility of the Aboriginal Tasmanians to the European settlers between 1803 to that date and time. Former convict Edward White gave testimony before the committee as a witness to the Risden Massacre. His would be the first account of the May 3, 1804 event that went against the narrative of the Aborigines attacking the settlement, instead unveiling a decades-old cover-up to mask a senseless violent event. Edward White was one of the first men who landed in Tasmania in 1803. He built settlement founder Lieutenant John Bowden's house at Risden Cove. Edward was then a servant to a man named Clark. He was hoeing new ground near a creek on May 3, 1804, when he saw 300 of the natives come down in a, quote, circular form and a flock of kangaroos hemmed in between them. Edward said the large party was composed of men, women, and children. Edward then went down to the creek to report what he saw to some soldiers, so they wouldn't be caught off guard, and then went back to his work. Edward confirmed that the natives did not threaten him, and he wasn't afraid of them. He also stated that the natives were never within half a quarter of a mile from Burke's home. The settler Lieutenant Moore claimed was beaten by a group of Aborigines, threatened to burn its house down, and whose wife was threatened. In fact, 
Edward confirmed that they were on the opposite side of the creek from Burke's property. Edward reported that the natives did not attack the soldiers and did not appear to ever have any intention to. He testified that the soldiers began firing on the natives at about 11 o'clock, and there were a large number of aborigines slaughtered and wounded, unsure of how many in total. Edward then said some of the bones of the victims were put into two barrels and sent to Port Jackson by Dr. Mountgarrett, where they were shipped by boat to Sydney. He also said a young boy was taken from the natives, corroborating Mountgarrett's claim of having a two-year-old whose parents were killed in the massacre. One of the biggest bombshells of Edward's testimony was his confirmation that the natives had no spears with them, only wadis, wooden paddles used sometimes in aboriginal hunting. He was sure the natives didn't even know there were white settlers in the country until they came to Risdon. This testimony reopened the event and created two very conflicting accounts of what happened. The claim that the aborigines were attacking a settlement and the soldiers acted out of self-defense for the town, and the revelation that a peaceful tribe of people in midst of a standard hunt were killed out of sport, fueled by prejudice and misguided superiority. And conflicting reports would continue to combat with one another as the years went on. Looking back on records, a week after the massacre, a government official came to the site and reported that five or six aborigines were killed, while another government official claimed that about, quote, 40 or 50 natives were killed. Other accounts began to come forward supporting Edwards' testimony of the events of May 3rd, 1804. William Charles Wentworth, who heard stories from settlers of the area in April 1816, wrote, quote, At first, the natives evinced the most friendly disposition towards the newcomers to Tasmania, and would probably have been actuated by the same amicable feeling to this day had not the military officer entrusted with the command directed a discharge of grape and canister shot to be made among a large body who were approaching, with much greater probability merely with motives of curiosity and friendship. G.W. Evans, who spoke to many colonists regarding the massacre, recalled, quote, A considerable number of the natives were seen descending from the neighboring hills. As they approached, they were distinctly heard to sing, each man having in his hand a green bough, a well-known emblem of peace among tribes. Either their signals of amity were not well understood, or their numbers too great to be trusted. Lieutenant Jeffries was a British naval officer who made several trips to Tasmania between 1817 and 1822, and he accounted the aborigines of Riston Cove as being, quote, innocent and well-disposed, whose, quote, tokens of friendship were returned by heavy firing of musketry from three military detachments, which was drawn up for the purpose. In April 1992, Indigenous scholar Greg Lehman published an Indigenous account of the massacre aftermath. Quote, Close to a hundred were killed that day. Whole families. The exact number will never be known. Bodies were dragged back to the settlement, butchered and boiled down so the bones could be packed in lime and sent back to Sydney. The Risdon Cove massacre has, like many violent murderous events, pockets of those who deny it ever happened or minimize what was done to the aborigines by white settlers that May morning. To deny such a serious event or minimizing the facts diminishes those who suffered and were killed. Their lives mattered. Their stories mattered and need to be heard, especially after being buried in a systemic cover-up that lasted almost three decades. For the murdered, 
brutalized, and tormented indigenous of Tasmania. Your voices deserve to be heard. It's up to us to listen. For all those lost at the Risen Cove Massacre, we honor your memory. And so ends tonight's story. I hope that you are all able to take something from this account. I know I learned so much researching it, and am ashamed to admit I had never heard about it until finding this subject, but it also motivates me to continue educating myself about different events that have happened, not just in my own backyard, but in the world we all share with each other. If we don't learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. I hope this inspires you to continue your education. Campers? Thank you for joining. I don't know about you, but I am ready for a good night's sleep. Let's put out the fire, leave no trace behind, and remember the buddy system as we all walk back to our cabins. Until next time, stay spooky. Hey everyone, Jessica Hayden here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Camp Raven. This episode included research from articles written by Australian History Mysteries, W.F. Refshog, Lindahl Ryan, the University of Newcastle, Australia, Center for 21st Century Humanities, and Joanna Baker. These articles can be found in the show notes. Please be sure to share, subscribe, rate to help keep the show going. If you'd like to interact further, please be sure to follow Camp Raven on Twitter at Camp Raven Pod and Instagram at Camp Raven Podcast. Feel free to email the show at Camp Raven Podcast at gmail.com. Like the Camp Raven Facebook page and feel free to follow my account on TikTok at spooky underscore Jess for more true crime posts. I'll see you next week with a brand new episode. Bye.